Hello, was Black Lives Matter a scam? Does the Christian church have a diversity problem? Let's discuss. Welcome to the Forge and Anvil podcast, where we embrace uncomfortable conversations about culture and politics to sharpen ourselves for the race set before. My name is Connor. I am host of this podcast. If you would like to support the show, go ahead and go to forgeandanvil.locals.com. Again, that is forgeandanvil.locals.com. So joining us today, we have our guest, Dear Woke Christian, also known as Jason. Jason, say hi. Hey, how's it going? Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Feel free to give you a quick introduction. We'll pass it over to Michael. And I appreciate it. So if you don't know me, my name is Jason Whitaker. I'm the host and curator of Dear Woke Christian, the podcast on YouTube, as well as DearWokeChristian.com. And I talk about and have a great time discussing the complexities of critical race theory and social justice in light of and in comparison to God's word. So um, feel free to check us out, see what we're doing over there. And let me know what you think. Awesome. And joining us as well as regular attendee, Michael Aper. Hey, my name is Michael Aper. I'm a God-fearing seminarian that wants to change worldly culture with biblical truth by whatever means necessary. Um, so I have a story to launch us into our discussion today. So this is from the Christian Post. Erwin Gray says, God wants a race of grace, not colorblindness. Speaking before the Awana Child Dis Discipleship Forum on Friday, Gray began his remarks by talking about the movie Encanto, noting that just as the family in the film said, we don't talk about Bruno, so oftentimes in the, the churches in the United States say we don't talk about race. This is a quote from him. Here's the problem. Not talking about Bruno does not make the problems of Bruno go away, said Gray. It's a taboo subject because God forbid you may actually say something that's wrong and then people clobber you. Gray lamented that few American Christians belong to a true multi-ethnic church, asserting that the most divided institution in America is Jesus' church. So, Jason, we'll go ahead and start with you to get your Thank initial you reaction. So I'm so sick of Derwin Gray. I'm sorry. Uh, DearWillChristian.com, uh, if you have any complaints about this. Derwin Gray is already starting out with a misnomer. First of all, Christ builds his church. We do not build his church. And we, because what ends up happening is we have like an affirmative action worship situation. Like, oh, we have 10 white people. We must have uh, 10 black people. They must reflect the, the culture in the community. That's not, and, and what ends up happening even worse than that, when you create this idea that we must have a multi-ethnic church is that you start doing things like having, oh, we'll have a black worship service or we have a, a Latino appreciation day and all that kind of stuff like that. And you're going to invariably do things, say things that are going to be insensitive. They're going to push people away and so on and so forth. They call far, far more conflict than you need to. But guess what you could do? Let's just preach God's word, which Derwin Gray seems to not be doing if you're quoting Encanto as part of your justification for a sermon. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb. I guarantee you that sermon was probably a hot dumpster fire well beyond just referencing Bruno. So that's it. I mean, there's a lot more that can be said. So many people, Jarvis Williams, uh, Jamar Tisby and others lament and go on and on and on about being in a multi-ethnic church. And it's such a fool's errand. It's such a waste 
of time. And if you want, I'll give you my background and I'll explain why that's such a dumb idea. If you if you want to, I'll save it for later. We'll go ahead and get Michael's reaction first, and then um, then we'll definitely background. Go ahead, Michael. What was your first reaction to the article? Well, my first reaction was entertainment watching Jason react, but <laughs> truly, um, the the misnomer that Jason highlights is a blaring problem that is beyond racism is the idea that we have to build the church we can do nothing outside of the provenance of the holy spirit working through us so the problem is when individuals would maybe say that we are only working through the holy spirit as long as we're abiding by social justice standards i i think there may be something to be said about that insofar as the character of god can be promoted in man through the work of the holy spirit and the character of god is just and loving and a wide variety of other things uh, i think when it comes to racism or inclusivity justice and love are some relevant topics um in this context though with the whole encanto thing that's that's of course ridiculous if your church isn't talking about racism or if it isn't talking about race i i guess on one hand i can't believe that any church that's following scriptural norms is gonna avoid discussing race <laughs> while at the same time i don't think that the righteousness of god demands that we talk about race all the time either cool for goodness sake, we can just see that Christ responds to ethnic diversity in his own time when we read through the scriptures and take notes, you know, it's, there are slaves, there are people that are considered less by other groups of people and the whole, the, the attitude of Palestine Jews in the first century towards Samaritans and for, towards, uh, the Gentiles, Gentiles mm -hmm. is going to be a huge commentary on how that's responded to. And the subsequent text beyond the Gospels of Peter being told by God to cross some of those boundaries and the Apostle Paul to be a missionary into diverse cultures. Yeah, there's relevancy there. But the context of that relevancy is so different than maybe what we're up against today and i think scriptural texts can be misused they are misused constantly for either the purpose of absolute genocide like we've seen numerous times throughout history but also for virtue signaling in a place where god's virtue is not not promoting the same things as man's virtue yeah absolutely yeah, and I, I I would love for you, Jason, to build out a little bit of your background. Um, of course, feel free to respond to anything Michael said as well. And if you can maybe just give us a quick rundown of um, why we're even talking about the race question, why that why that is something that needs to be addressed right now in a Christian podcast like this. That'd be awesome. Oh, I love it. Thank you. So keep in mind that the reason we're talking about race is because it's culturally okay. It's the sin that 
everybody's okay with discussing and everybody's cool with talking about. They're not going to talk about adultery and fornication or anything else. They're going to be, oh, but hey, we can call sin. We can call out racism and that's cool. So it's okay to talk about that. Most of the time, it's fair to say if the world is okay with your calling out of a sin, you're probably not doing something correct. It's probably pretty much a good rule of thumb. Like, hey, if the world is saying it's okay, if we're saying exactly what the world is saying, Derwin Gray is saying exactly what the world is saying, there's a high probability you're off, sir. I'm just going to just tell you that. Just newsflash, you're wrong. So I, I live in Atlanta and I attend a predominantly, I'm sorry, what used to be a predominantly white Presbyterian church. When I joined here, um, we, my family, my two girls and my beautiful wife, we were a few little chocolate drops in a, in a bowl of rice. Okay. So, and uh, I mean, we stood out, no question about it. There was a few other families, but not many. It was, the vast majority of my church was of the less melanated, shall we say. So during, and, and they've been like this for many, many years. They're, they're, they had no problem with it. The median age was probably like, like 80. I mean, they were really old and they were extremely less melanated and but they preach God's word pastor is actually a, a young guy um white man and we we sat down and we talked about these things and had good conversation about it and I remember one day soon after 2020 so just pick one of the, the shenanigans of 2020 and he said hey you know uh, uh we were thinking about doing this in order to be a little bit more inclusive I said, hold on real quick. Y'all don't lock the doors. You don't stop one person from coming in these doors. And we open up our doors nice and wide every Sunday. And we have greeters, green people in. You come in there smelling like alcohol. You could be a uh, uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. They're not stopping anybody from coming in church. I said, I'm telling you right now, if you all do that, I will be departing soon thereafter. And we said, okay, maybe we won't do this uh, This trying to be all inclusive. I said, just continue to preach God's word, please. Because there's a dearth of God's word here in Atlanta. There's a dearth of God's word here in the metro area. So about four weeks ago, we were in Sunday school and um, we were just, you know, just talking in Sunday school class. And um, this is adult Sunday school. And if anybody follows me, you know, I absolutely love Sunday school. So I, I love going to adult Sunday school. We have a great time. So anyway, we were talking and somebody asked, what could we do to be more focused outward and, and attracting more of the community in the church? And I just had enough of it. I said, hey, let's stop for a second. Um, let, let me just do real quick. How many of you all have been here less than 24 months in the vast majority of the class? Probably there's 55, 60 adults in there, better than half, better maybe even 75% of them had come in the last 24 months. And a lot of those hands were of the highly or blessed melanated crowd. But watch this. This is the other thing. They hadn't done anything different. So all we did was just be open, which was a, which was a, like an avant-garde type of thing in 2020. Like, oh, you go to church? Like, yeah, we've been going to church. Like we actually go to church. Um, that was already like, whoa. But then also, he just preaches God's word. Joel just preaches God's word. If if the, if the text requires a discussion about race or text requires something about abortion or the text requires, absolutely. But he's not giving commentary on it. It doesn't rule and reign and change 
the teaching and preaching of God's word. And so many people, because, oh, newsflash, I'm a deacon here at my church as well. So we get some of the inside scoop because, you know, Presbyterians, you can't join the church unless you actually sit down with the with the uh, session and actually give your testimony. So I talk with the elders after the fact, a lot of the time, and so many of them mention how friendly our church is, how open our church is, and how we reverence and esteem God's word. Not one person to say, hey, you got that handsome bow-tied black uh, deacon over there, and you guys, I should join your church. Or, hey, you got none of that. It's never been a commentary about racial or ethnic anything. It's always been friendly, um, open and um, a strict adherence to God's word. That's it. So I'm sorry, Derwin Gray. <laughs> we never talk about Encanto. We've never, I will, we will never talk about Bruno as Smyrna Presbyterian. So that's my little tidbit right there. Sorry. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think then, Jason, that the racial issue gets has gotten so much attention. I mean, you did mention, I think that was a good point of, um, it's a, maybe a sin that the world feels comfortable pointing out. Oh yeah. Um, but what do you think is kind of perpetuating it with among, among believers, especially because there are a lot of individuals in the church. I know you have, um, several videos where you have critiqued, um, what we maybe define as woke preachers, um, yeah, you know, within, uh, within your uh, video content, one of them being like Raphael Warnock, who's, running for a U.S. Senate seat in Georgia, in your state. Right here. Um, sure is. So, I mean, maybe unpack a little bit of um, where do you think some of this um, started seeping into the pulpit, as well as why do you think there's this social pressure among Christians? Um, and oftentimes, it's especially among white Christians to talk about race. Okay. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to start backwards. So what I found out is when this whole thing popped off in 2020, a lot of people who are the less melanated were reaching out to me saying, hey, how are you doing? Um, I'd like to sit down and talk with you. Or, hey, um, you mind having coffee with me? And come to find out, a lot of them were feeling some kind of way because they've been minding their own business. Uh, you know, you're, you're a man of less melanin. You probably married a wife of less melanin. And guess what? You probably have kids with less melanin or whatever like that. And they really weren't thinking about us. I'll just be honest with you. I joke about it all the time. My neighbor next door and my neighbor right here, they don't wake up in the morning saying, darn it, that Jason, he's a black guy and he lives next door to me. They don't care. They really don't. They really are doing their own business. But with the whole George Floyd thing and everything that popped off in 2020, people were able to quickly say, well, hey, Connor, hey, Mike, if you're not anti-racist, if you don't do these type of things, you are bad. I've had people say, you're wrong because you married a white woman. Well, what else are they supposed to marry? Like, come on. <laughs> like, so am I bad because my wife is black? Like, what in the world is that? That doesn't even make sense. But I've heard people say that. And so part of it is, I think, is, it's a it's a, a guilt trip. And because I'm, I'm assuming this on you, so please feel free to let me know. You probably don't wake up in the morning worrying about the ethnicity of the guy that serves you your coffee at Starbucks or the the guy at the gas station or anything of that nature, probably just doing life. However, they were able to quickly turn that, that I'm not really thinking about you into, I don't care about you. And I'm bad because, oh man, I really don't pay attention to my, my black neighbor or my, my, my Indian coworker or whatever like that. Oh, I'm bad. Oh, I've got to do something. And what did they immediately do? They would say things like, well, I have a black friend. 
oh my gosh, once they did that, it was off to the races because you were bad because you're now using your black friend as a shield for you. And like, well, wait, no, no, I, 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 I was raised around black people. That's even worse. Now you're gentrification. I mean, it, it was just an, an ongoing stream. So I think a lot of people of the, a lot of white people were, were deluged by this and were beat over the head by this. So they almost felt like I got to prove that I'm not racist because you can't prove a negative, by the way. So it's really hard to prove that you don't do something. So therefore, I got to prove it. So I got to go above and beyond. So I'm doing the work. I'm reading the books. I'm I'm protesting. Look at my social media. I got all these. I, I follow all these people and I, I put the black flag up and all this kind of stuff like that. So they have to prove it. So that's what I think happened to why there's so many people of less melanin who feel like they have to do this. But then also, let me just, I'm just going to say this. I don't believe a lot of these people who profess to be Christian are Christian. I'm not just, I'm not going to say, oh, well, you're not a Christian because you're not Presbyterian or you're not Christian because you don't have a beard. I'm not going to do that. However, I am going to say, I think it's fair to say we've had better than 25 years of purpose-driven, attractional church running amok in America. It's fair to say, I, I, I'm going to go on a limb and say about 25%, if not more, of our main or our mainstream churches are probably full of people that are not believers. So, I mean, they just, they, it's cultural to be Christian. Now, sadly, now Christianity is on the outswings of people are like deconstructing. You're not deconstructing. You actually were never constructed. You mm. can't, you can't pull yourself out of his hand. So if he puts you in his hand, you can't unput yourself in his hand. It doesn't make sense. So you're actually mm. not deconstructing. You're not an ex-evangelical newsflash. You never were. Okay. Yeah. But these people are, are running amok in the Christian church. So, wow. yeah, so it does seem like there's a lot of people who are unbelievers who subscribe to unbelieving policies and ideas inside Christianity, but they themselves were never really saved in the first place. First John gave us, gives us peace of mind in saying that they left from us because they never really were of us. So now we have, we have people of less melanin and black folk too, don't get it twisted. There's a lot of black folk, I'm calling out Raphael Warnock and Stacey Abram right now, that stand in Christian churches, and I'm sorry, your policies prove that you yourself, your your profession needs to be reconsidered, okay? So we have a people, black, white, filling the dots, that stand in Christian churches that are not believers. So they bring in non-believing policies like, because you're white, you need to pay me money, or because you're this, you are because you um, you have all those books back there behind you, and I don't have enough books, so you need to give me more books so I can put more books in my bookcase because it's unfair that you have more books in your bookcase because the only reason you have more books is because you're white, and that kind of stuff is running amok in church. But I think it's primarily because we have a lot of people who are not converts. Now you can argue with me that. You are a convert, and I will just ask you simply this. Why is your policies and why do your practices not reflect Christ's policies? Because James says don't show partiality. So if I look at Mike, and because Mike has a, a, a button-down shirt, I treat him differently than I treat Connor. By default, I am in sin. Now, I'm being kind of bombastic here, but that's it. So if you can look at me and give me privilege over Connor or Mike, just because of my beautifully brown melanated skin, you're in sin too. So come on, center, let's get let's get changed. But so when, that's how I think we've gotten to this place of of it being so um, 
prevalent in Christianity or in, in the church, lowercase c, because yeah. I don't believe Christ's church is behaving like this. What we're seeing are the pretenders, the caricature church, the lowercase c, doing all this foolishness. But Christ's church, they're still faithful. They're still faithful. They're still recognizing brothers and sisters across all of the spectrum. They're not trying to be anything more than what Christ has called them to be and allowed him to build his church. Yeah. Amen to that. So now you've been putting out different videos on race theory and its definition. Um, I've got a couple of questions regarding that. Um, one of the things that I recently ran into, um, James Lindsay put out kind of his, um, his definition of what he would call critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said critical race theory can be summarized as accusing everything of being racist until the subject of attention is under the control of the accuser. Would you agree with that definition? Absolutely. Yep. I totally can. And now this is the thing now. This is the thing. And if you follow me for a while, I just did a video series, the definition of critical race theory. If you've been following me for the past year, year and a half, I've made it very clear. I don't define critical race theory because when I got into this thing, when I tried to define it, everybody I would ask had a different definition of it. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Like, this does ah, that's what it is. It's meant to be like this. It's not supposed to be concrete because we, we can all probably agree what is the definition of a table. We could all probably come up with a definition that would be very similar. You know, four legs, a flat plateau, um, usually stands in the kitchen or the living room. Okay, we could probably agree with that. But when it comes to critical race theory, it's all over the place. So I, for for literally better part of a year and a half, I've said, I'm, I'm not going to define it. I'm not going to even look for it. And I've had people on my channel, uh, you can't even define critical race theory. Okay, no problem. Tell me what you did with the George Floyd thing. And I can tell you where you are. It won't take long. So, and the reason I decided then to really last two weeks ago to start defining it was because of the American Bar Association. I was like, wait, they actually have a definition here. And I'm going to use their definition and we're going to parse that apart. And I mean, this is is as foolish as any other definition I've heard, but at least we can say, hey, I didn't just make this up. This is the ABA. So you guys are going to have to argue with the American Bar Association. And it's funny because a lot of the people who have been all week long and all in other um, comment sections pushing back on me about my definition of critical race theory, they seem to be real quiet when I <laughs> use the ABA definition. So I agree. I just ask people to explain to me how you handle certain situations. So if, if, for example, if Mike got hired as pastor of the church, and I was also, Mike and I were both vying for a position to be pastor of the church, and Mike got the, the role as pastor of the church, um, of XYZ church, what would be your response? Would you say that Mike was more qualified or Mike was uh, more learned or Mike maybe connected with the audience better? Or would you immediately go with the most clear and evident difference between Mike and I right now on the screen? What would you do? There we go. That, that's going to already start giving me the information I need. If you say that it's, it's fine because Mike was more learned, he's a seminarian. Okay, there we go. All right, then. So you're not using the external, the obvious external to make your decision. Or if you say, hey, well, Mike got it because uh, the pat- the previous pastor was white. The congregation is 75% white. He's a, uh, oh, there we go. There we go. And it's very clear. Now I can see exactly 
where you get that from because you don't know those things. You don't know that that's why, because keeping my critical race theory gives you like a superpower to be able to read people's minds and know their intentions and motivations of the heart far more than even God, the Holy Spirit has said that he's given us the ability to do. So you know that, right? Because if you don't know that, and by the way, that would be bearing false witness. So you would actually be in sin if you couldn't prove that. Just, you know, kind of a little, little nuance there because you just bore false witness against Mike and against that whole congregation. And he kind of brought up a false accusation against the elder. Yeah, so you might really want to know that you know that you know that because otherwise you're lying. But so I, that's why I, I don't usually bring up a, a definition, but I like Lindsay's definition. I think it's a good one as well. But I guarantee you, somebody in the comments section is going to say they, they disagree with him. Of course, of course. And that is the beauty of of uh, trying to jello to a wall. So oh, trust me. <laughs> and, and that definitely seems to be a, a, an intentional tactic, I think, by people that want to um, use the definition to beat someone over the head with. Um, now, Michael, I want to bring you in here a little bit more, too. Um, now, obviously, we've been talking about the church and how um, racial issues have been both from the pulpit and, of course, just congregation um, and just conversations that are going to be had in the lobby. So um, we'll start with you and then we can turn it over to Jason as well. Um, what would you consider to be a healthy amount of dialogue about race within the church? Oh, no, we lose you, Michael. Uh-oh. Oh. All right. Well, Jason, we'll throw it to you until Michael comes back in. <laughs> I love it. I, From the Lord's pulpit on a Sunday morning or during the, the Lord's worship service, I don't think that race should be addressed unless it is, of course, a part of the text. Now, if you want to do a men's Bible study or women's Bible study or Sunday school class and you have some discussions about that, I think that's perfectly fine. Um, church picnic, you're out having playing cornhole and you're talking about race. Absolutely no problem with it. The sacred box. And I think this is this is what I really believe the, the big issue is. There's a there's a dearth of God's word being preached. And it's a, there's a there's a there's not a lot of men that are standing in the box faithfully preaching and because when 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 you stand in that box and you're faithfully preaching god's word the congregation is hearing what god is commanding and and, and speaking toward them so it's, it's literally like god himself is speaking to them but when somebody stands in that box or stands in a pulpit or on a stage or behind a lectern and just rattles off their own maturations and what's, what's the latest disney thing and whatever like that and those people are not getting what God's word says. And so they're not able to fend off sin in their own lives. They're not able to deal with their, their kids and the relationship with their wives and such of that nature. So they're, they're actually starved and malnourished to go out here into the world. And nobody would benefit more than that of that than, than the devil himself. To, to have a congregation of people come in here already probably not well-nourished, okay? They, they, they probably having some pretty, let's just say they have decent Bible study and devotion at home, but they come here for this to be edified and built up and encouraged. And they literally leave from there less than they came in. And who benefits more than that? The devil, 100%. So I think when we're, when we're talking about this situation, we have to realize that 
if we can talk about race, like we're doing this right now, I think this is a great place and a platform to do it. If you were in the sacred box preaching on a Sunday morning, yesterday was Sunday, preaching the Lord's day, you need to preach what God said. Yeah. And we can save this till uh, we go out and get wings after church or um, again, men's Bible study or women's Sunday school class. But in that box, I need to hear what God said because I got a lot of jacked upness and Jason needs to get his jacked upness made right by hearing the preaching of God's word. But Michael, welcome back. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. That's all good. I kind of missed Connor your your prompting. I wasn't sure entirely what you were asking for. Yeah, so I had asked Jason what um, what well, I asked you first, I should say, uh, what would be considered a healthy amount of conversation about race within a church. And I'm not sure if you heard kind of the first part of Jason's answer, but he um, kind of recapped it, which is. Um, Jason kind of made the argument that maybe within the setting of a men's Bible study or a small group, um, if you want to talk about kind of specific cultural um, issues such as race in that setting, that's a great setting. But from the pulpit, that should maybe just be um, saved just for the reading of God's word and the preaching of God's word. So um, I'd love to get your response to that. Yeah, something's been on my mind as we've been having this conversation Recently, my wife and I moved into a, uh, you know, into school housing, student housing at the seminary that we're attending, that I'm attending. And in this married family housing for students, I live in a little cul-de-sac. To my left is a couple from India. Next to them's a white couple from Michigan. Across from them is a couple from China, then there's a couple from Korea, and a couple from Zimbabwe. I say this not to say like, wow, we're so inclusive, praise God. But the point is, never once has it crossed any of our minds to treat anyone differently. Instead, we share each other's discipleship and glory and honoring to God on a regular basis. And in the the chapel services at the institution that I attend, there are often opportunities for international engagement, not because of the skin tone diversity, but because of the cultural diversity. And it's a beautiful privilege to get to hear men and women speak and pray and sing in their own language And I bring this up, I know this is kind of separate of the the discussion that we're having, but when my wife and I first moved in, we pulled in our U-Haul to move into our little home. There was a group of kids just playing around in the yard across from us. And every one of them was different. And I found out later that some of the little Asian kids, they're actually from Australia. So that's beside the point. It's just fun little tidbit. But my point was, when we saw that, it was just like, oh, cool. Kids can play outside here and they don't feel like they're in danger. Because in my neighborhood where I grew up, some kids don't always feel safe outside. It's got nothing to do with race. It's got to do with crime and culture of of our environment. And here in the environment that is promoted within the righteousness of God, There's a diversity of culture and a diversity of people. And there's no thought of racism or segregation. But 
what I see and when I see that is just a beautiful picture of nobody's worried about it. We're just worshiping and we can walk together in communion with one another in discipleship with one another. And probably the best friend that I've made here is black from Zimbabwe. I don't, it, the color of his skin, his melanin has little impact on his faithfulness. And what I'm concerned about when I come to an institution to promote the holiness of God, I'm much more interested in how people understand and look at the church and look at who Christ is and how we should respond. And if anything, I think it's cool just to get some different perspectives from the, from the international folk that are around here. But when it comes to racial divides, I'm really pleased that the school, they don't really pander to the inclusivity, but they mm -hmm. do create opportunity for cultural variation to be promoted, which I think is a, is something that we could expect in the kingdom of God as well, because really what I'm getting at is that nobody cares about the racial differences and nobody's afraid to talk about race and nobody's not talking about Bruno, <laughs> but there's a beautiful thing where we are able to acknowledge the differences amongst the people and celebrate those differences, celebrate those cultural identities. So and that's just something that's been kind of on my mind as we've been having this conversation and the beauty of that, it's not like the school has made an agenda to get a certain number of students from every ethnic group. Instead, the school actually is really good at promoting international studies because it wants people to go out into the world to spread the word of God. Mm -hmm. How simple is that? Well, I'm really excited by this because it is probably the most diverse culture that I've ever been in, but it's not motivated for the sake of diversity in ethnic orientation. It's diversity for the thoughts and ideas that can be promoted in an academic institution. And that to me is exciting because truthfully, if I went to a school with a bunch of other white guys with brown beards who all have the same ideas, it wouldn't really do me any favors, right. but it's a huge blessing to get to listen to my brothers and sisters in Christ who have different experiences from their upbringing in different cultures. That's just a, a celebration and expression of diversity that I think a lot of the virtue signaling and woke churches, they want that, but they don't know how to get it. So they pretend to fabricate it. And when they attempt to fabricate it, it's done in a way that panders to a, a, a social justice movement instead of allowing the spirit of God to work in the people of God for the expression of cultural appreciation and cultural diversity within the worship of the one almighty God. That to me is organic. And when you fabricate something like that, you're going to fall short because it goes right back to where we started. Are we going to be building the church or is Christ going to build his church? Hmm. I know that kind of deviates from what we've been talking that's about, good. but that's just stuff that's been on my mind. No, that's yeah. good. You know what, Connor? I think it's, it's interesting to build off of what Michael just said in the article. 
Um, Derwin Gray says, when examining what to do about this issue, Gray told us white brothers and sisters in love that I don't want you to be colorblind. Neither does God. Really? Really? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know where you would have gotten that. I don't know where you would have gotten that from God. But wait, look at what he said. God wants us to be color blessed. Really? Okay, because I, I don't see anything in scripture that tells me that. Because everything that you just said, Michael, cultures and tribes and ethnicities, those are all externals. But please understand, he never said anything about our color, skin color. So I don't know where the people are getting that from, but I continue. Gray declared, he didn't make a mistake giving me uh, cocoa chocolatey colored skin. Gray stresses that ethnic reconciliation is intrinsic to the gospel. I'm sorry, I don't remember reading that. Pointing out that the first century church in which Jews and Gentiles gathered together for Christian fellowship. Now, I do believe that, but that is that is a the the enmity between Jews and Gentiles. God had done that. God had called a certain people and separated them from another group of people and now made those two people one people in Christ. Perfectly understand that. But this is a contrived man-made, as you just said, like we, we, we can't really do it because we don't have the spirit of God changing and transforming and regenerating our hearts. So we have to kind of fake it. We have to make something happen and make up some kind of reconciliation. Because again, what is the ethnic problem? There was no problem between Mike and I before we got on this call. And as far as I know, when we get off this call, we'll still be brothers. So there's nothing that we need to be reconciled. Connor, you too. I'll just throw you in as well. There's nothing wrong. So guess what? Why do we need to be reconciled? To what? And for what? Because of what? And because we're not reconciled to God, because again, I'm going back to my point, I think a lot of these people aren't regenerated. And because they're not reconciled to God, they have to fake and make up this faux reconciliation between man and, and make, first of all, they got to create enmity. So I'm making this, this false enmity because nothing more than the fact that, Michael, you have less melanin than I do. And because of that, you're bad. <laughs> There's nothing else, no other shape, form, or fashion to it. And Connor, you're you're a bad dude too. Um, and because of that, you need to write me a check, or you need to give me a position or a role that I didn't earn and I don't have merit for, whatever. Fill in the blank. So I just think it's interesting that he's put words into God's mouth. And am I wrong? Is he adding to the scripture? <laughs> Is he? I mean, adding to the gospel. Ethnic reconciliation like is intrinsic to the gospel. I don't think Paul said that in first Corinthians when he talks about what the gospel is. I don't think he said that. Now I will say we shouldn't have beef if there was in fact real issue between Connor and myself. I think we should, that should be rectified because we are in Christ, but he's, I feel like he's elevating that into a, feel free to let me know, Mike. I feel like he's elevated that into an actual part of the gospel. Am I right? Yeah. It does he's, sound very well. He's viewing scripture through the lens of his presuppositions. And yeah. So I'm like, that's are cultural a, deviations from the text. And that's a Galatians 5 flag on the play. We're going to throw a mm -hmm. flag on the play. That's a Galatians 5. That's a different gospel. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm sorry. See, that's, and this is when, when, you, when you make this, you transfix on this topic to the point that you don't even realize that you're adding to the beautiful gospel and really yeah. making it of no effect. 
So yeah. the gospel, the gospel now means nothing because Connor can never do enough. Mike can never repent enough in order to deal away with their whiteness. So the gospel, if this is a part of the gospel now, according to Derwin Gray, the gospel never actually does anything because you're never going to work your way up to it to, to do enough. That's why I keep telling people, I said, you do realize that the end goal of this is actual extermination of a people group. You do know that, right? And people will quickly tell me I'm wrong. Okay, not a problem. And just like you, y'all told me I was wrong about 2020. Look where we are. <laughs> so I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. But you do realize that the end goal, there isn't any reconciliation in this, this different religion of critical race theory. So there has to be some way to deal with this, the problem of the less melanated. I don't know how y'all deal with it. <laughs> Grace. <laughs> oh, no, no I, I I just tell people, I refuse to play the game with y'all. Y'all go over there and play Calvin Ball over there by yourself. I don't care what you're doing. No. Um, I don't know what you, I don't, I'm not going to play with you. That's it. It's not gonna, you go play intergalactic Calvin Ball. I don't know what the rules are. I don't even care. I'm going to go over here and love my wife and love my, my neighbor as I'm supposed to and worship my brother, worship my God with my brothers and sisters. That's what I'm going to do. Y'all go do whatever you're doing. Talking about Bruno and foolishness. That's you. Man. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm here to cause well, trouble. We, we are running a little bit low on time, and we didn't get to uh, talk too much about BLM and that entire movement. So we'll definitely have to have you on again sometime, Jason, to talk through that. Because I do think... You know, when I'm being honest, when I'm when I'm caught in an honest moment where maybe I don't have the the patience that I would in a, in a uh, better moment, right. I I just want to tell people I'm sick of talking about race because at the end of the day, like both of you have pointed out numerous occasions, the message of the gospel is what our primary focus should be on. But at the same time, I do believe in Ephesians five eleven. Um, mm -hmm. which has had nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. And I think that word expose is really interesting. I actually went through and studied through this verse on multiple translations, and it's always the word expose or some very comparable word uh, in language. And I do think that a lot of this we trace back to 2020. Obviously, there mm -hmm. were earlier um, indicators of this movement coming about, but it really yeah. came to a head in 2020. And most of that was pushed by Black Lives Matter. So just for any listener who may be wondering, why are you guys even you know, obsessing with this? Or why are you focusing on individuals and names or organizations? Um, because I do believe that there is some um, biblical evidence to say that we should expose them. Uh, we should expose the evil deeds, at least I should say. Um, because without that, there are going to be many people that are going to be um, caught in a slumber and they are going to be caught off guard when some of these movements come and these cultural phenomenons come and uh, sweep them away. So um, we'll definitely have to have you back on to discuss more of that, Jason. Um, but, um, you know, we have we have just about three minutes or so. Um, so if you have any closing thoughts, Jason, to wrap us up and then go ahead and let people know where they can find you. And then Michael will turn it over to you. Gotcha. You can find me at DearWoodChristian.com and of course, Dear Will Christian on YouTube. And I appreciate you guys for having me and allowing me to share my thoughts and such. And at the end of the day, the gospel is so much better. Please don't discount the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so much better than even what we've made it out to be. And I would encourage those who are listening to explore and dig into and investigate the gospel. Mike? Amen. Well, you can find me 
sitting in front of a computer doing an inductive Bible study of the book of Matthew. That's what I'm doing it. these days. I love awesome. it. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening into our show. And if you support the show, go ahead and go to fordandandbill.locals.com. We really appreciate your support. Jason, thanks so much for coming. My we'll pleasure. definitely have you, you on again. And thanks so much for watching, everyone. And have a great day. Grace and peace. Take care, everybody.